five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I'm your host, Justin. I'm here with Dan and Jason. Hey. Howdy. And we've got a special guest today, Matt. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Happy to be here. <laughs> We're happy to have you. Uh, it's great to, great to have you on here. You've been gaming with us for a little while. Uh, I know you through Jason mostly, I think, right? Yes. Yeah, Jason uh, invited me to some gaming, and, uh, man, I just had a great time, so... Uh, it's it's been really cool and uh happy to talk to you guys about all things geek (laughs) very good very good this is the show for it for sure uh today we are talking about runequest the rpg we were fortunate enough to get a copy of the starter set from uh chaosium it's themselves they sent it for us to review uh spoiler alert we had a great time with it uh, but the whole show is going to be about our review of it, and Matt was fortunate enough to uh, grace us with his presence, I guess, to uh, to play it uh, a couple weeks ago. So we wanted to get his insight with us today. So yeah, Matt, we're we're really excited to have you again. Awesome, thanks. But of course, before we get started, let's uh, begin with our Geek Week. Uh, Jason, why don't you kick us off with your Geek Week? Yeah, man. So this uh, past week, I had a uh, Friday night game night, uh, which happens about once a month. Um, and this this time, I played a game that I hadn't played before. If you guys remember back when we did the resolution, uh, yeah. like the New Year's resolution, one of the resolutions resolutions I made was to play a new game every month. Oh, right, um, right. Yep. So those those uh, local, you know, monthly game nights make that easy to do. And the game we played this time was called Suburbia. Which is actually a game I think from 2012 is when it, I think it came out. But um, it's kind of like, uh, and people describe it this way, and I would agree. It's like Sim City in a board game. Um, oh, weird! Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Everybody plays, and when you're playing, you you get a, a number of different types of tiles. There's there's like resident. I'll just I know I'm gonna use the names wrong, but it'll paint the picture a little better. There's residential tiles, industrial tiles, and like commercial tiles. And just like SimCity, like the residents don't like to be right next to the big smoking factories, so there's like there's you know maybe negatives if you place industrials next to residentials, or I think they call them um, urbans. Um, and but uh, there's also positives if you put like commercials next to residentials, uh, and there's there's uh, also government buildings so that you can uh, or government run places so you can put like parks down and stuff like that. So it really kind of feels like you're building this city. That's evolving as you play the game, um, and like all games, you know it's uh, it's kind of based on a victory point scale where, as you build your city, you kind of uh, increase your point marker on a population track, and so whoever has kind of the biggest population at the end of the game wins. What I really enjoyed the game because I really uh, SimCity is probably a throwback for most of us at some point in our lives, 
But uh, one thing about the game is it is one of those games where there's not a lot of player interaction. You kind of are heads down focused on your own city on mm-hmm. your turn. And then even when it's not your turn, you're looking at your city thinking, what am I going to do next to my city? So you don't, really, you don't really do anything with the players around you beyond a couple little bonuses like, you know, you can get bonuses for every park in the entire game. So even if your opponents play parks, you'll get maybe some extra dollars uh, for there. So it, it wasn't as bad as, I'll say this, it wasn't as bad as Alien Frontiers, which uh, <laughs> people who listen to us know we absolutely loathe that game. Uh, but it, it did have a sense of you couldn't really decide exactly what you wanted to do until it was absolutely your turn. Because mm-hmm. the play field of what cities sh- popped up on the board that were available to play uh, changed as the players bought cities. So you didn't really know it was available Ah. until it was your turn. So late in the game, when you're trying to make some really tactical point-based decisions, um, you can kind of get into this, you know, I really want to make sure I'm getting the best points, but I also don't want to have analysis paralysis because that's just being a bad gamer uh, and that kind of thing. So, Matt, if if you remember, what was that game we played at your house that one time? It was like the castle building game. Yeah. You know what? I don't even know the name off the top of my head, but... um it was like some guy's name's castle or something. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I remember that game was kind of the same where, you know, as people would buy tiles to build their castle with, new tiles would be revealed. And the mm-hmm. tiles kind of became, they slid down in like their cost or something like that. So this game was very much like that. New tile, as somebody would buy a city, new tiles would be revealed and they would slide down um, this ranking system that, that made them cost more. But uh, fun game. Um, it's fun to build a city, uh, play kind of SimCity on a board game level. Uh, would I play it again? Uh, maybe once or twice. Is it one that I would go back to a lot? Probably not, because I like games where you actually interact more with the players around you. Uh, and this game had a little bit of a less of an interaction skill. But that was one of the new games I played, uh, so I'm hitting my resolution right off, right out the door there. Nice. So feeling Very good about good. that. Last one, which I'll keep simple because I think Matt's probably going to have some good stuff to talk about it, is uh, Elden Ring, which a lot of people are probably digging into right now. Uh, I've had a lot of work travel since you know I've been been gone on the podcast a lot, and so I'm every moment I have, I'm like trying to play catch up on Elden Ring, uh, you know, just burning hours through it. What's funny, dude, is I think I paid you know, I paid I think I paid fifty bucks for the game because we had like a ten dollar off coupon. I think I have like 70 plus hours in that game right now. Like that's less than a wow. dollar an hour, right? And I'm <laughs> and I'm sure I'm going to double that. Uh just cuz there's so much in that game. For for the amount of time you played it, like you only had it like a week and a half before you traveled. I know. And you I have know. 70 hours in it already. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like look, and I'm probably on the low end of everybody on my uh on my my list, right? But oh, uh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, you think about the return on investment that that game yeah. provides. It's just—I think Matt, you said this once when we were playing. It's—it's it's like the epitome of gaming right now, or just uh, maybe the epitome is the wrong word, but it's the culmination of like all things that make gaming great right now. Uh, a developer who's really made something for the player base—it's just an amazing game. But anyways, That's that awesome. was my geek week. That's very good, very very good, Matt. Let's let's kick it to you since uh, you know nice transition to Elden Ring. Yeah, I mean I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh, go off that then because I, all I've been doing is uh, geek wise is just playing Elden Ring, and I mean I, I'm not gonna 
get into it, bore everybody because everybody who plays Elden Ring already knows about it. They already know all about everything. And, and anybody, I think at this point, if you're not playing Elden Ring, you're probably not interested. But um, yeah, I I just I I probably I mean. Can I tell people how, how many hours I've gotten it? And it's probably you not should. that many for, for <laughs> considering <laughs> some of the other people out there that I see playing the game. Um, but, I mean, I've probably got over 150 hours. So I've probably Ooh, doubled baby. Uh, Jason. And, you know, it it's just it, as a Dark Souls fan, this game really was easy for me to play. It was it's so easy for me to get into. It's so easy for me just to be amazed by what they did. Yeah. And and one of the important things, and I think Jason might have been trying to get to this, was that this is a complete game. Um, most games now are partial games. They're games that feel unfinished. They're games that feel like the developer either chopped content for time or you know, decided to make some DLC or, right. or microtransactions. As of right now, there's no... There's no microtransactions, and obviously the DLC hasn't come out yet. The game just came out. And there probably will be DLC down the line. But with no microtransactions, that's a big deal for gaming right now. To have such a huge, successful game without microtransactions and other little ways to ding the player for more money, um, I, 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 it just makes me want to support it even more. It's, it's yeah. pretty amazing. I mean, the, how much content is in the game. Like, look, I've... Yeah. You know, I have bought a video game in the past for 50 bucks and beat it in four hours. And I was like, really? Like four <laughs> hours of gameplay for 50 bucks? This is like, I don't know, man. I mean, Matt, you how far would you say you are in exploring the content of the game? I mean, right I may be two thirds of the way through at this point. At 150 hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm going slow too. like to, to be fair, you know, uh, Jason's going slower than me, <laughs> not just because he's not around. Right. But. Like I made a concerted effort not to look a lot of things up, and and you know I've been so interested in it, so absorbed in it that inevitably I just I wanted more information, and so I, I definitely have looked things up. I'm not doing a blind run, um, but you know I, I haven't done a lot of that, so my game has been slow. I've been moving super slow, just investigating, exploring, trying things out, and um, I mean it's just it's such a great game that that it just welcomes that kind of thing, whether you want to run through it, get to the end and, and play it again, or just go through really slowly. It's just been such a great experience. Yeah. I, I played it. Um, and it, it got significantly better when they fixed the multiplayer, um, server issue in the very beginning, right? Like it, it just wasn't working. Yeah. But it was a couple of days. Yeah, as soon yeah exactly it wasn't very long. Um, and as soon as it got working again, um, it was so awesome to like see people's cryptic messages on the edge of a cliff, like, like no stop, you know, and you're like stop what, and then you jump off and you're like <laughs> oh that's what they meant, you know, <laughs> or, or you see a blood splatter and you see the ghost of them disappear down a hole, and you're like well that that didn't work out for them, you know, so. Um, it was just, it was a lot of fun, like seeing that, right. Uh, seeing how people like, Oh, okay. Well, that, that didn't, that didn't work. So <laughs> yeah. it's good times. I, I think my favorite was, uh, looking at a blood splatter 
and seeing the guy in the middle of the forest, seeing the guy just skyrocket like 100 feet in the air in the middle of the forest. You're like, whoa, what did that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. I, and you know what? I, I agree. I think it's on par um, with The Witcher 3 or uh, Red Dead Redemption. Um in terms of like just massive content, right? Because I played Witcher three, and that took me a long time to get through. And I was I was uh, doing like every quest. I don't care if it. I didn't care if it was way beneath me. I just wanted to like do everything, right? And mm-hmm. so um, that was that was really great. Uh, Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption two. Again, those were. Um, I, I think the difference with Red Dead Redemption two maybe is like there there's bugs in it that were kind of hilarious, you know, like you'd be like driving your wagon, you'd like go over a, a train track and all of a sudden, like you'd be flipping upside down, like for no apparent reason. And it was just kind of hilarious. Yeah. Um, so there, there was like funny bugs in it. I, d- I don't remember seeing too many bugs in Elden Ring. Um, maybe they were there, but like, I didn't encounter anything that stood out to me that was like, this is an unfinished game, you know? Um, Cause yeah. Here- so- there, yeah, there's ahead, there's something that's that was that's interesting there, and that is as they're updating the game, they're kind of trickling out either content that maybe wasn't finished, or um, maybe just uh, I don't know. I, I, like I'm not really sure, and I don't think the community is really sure why they're they're doing that. Whether like I said, it was unfinished, or or maybe they're uh-huh. just trying to elongate the the initial play time of, of the players, you know, people have to go back who've already done something and maybe do it again. Um, as they, as they release these updates, they, the NPC quests are being extended. Um, and in some cases changed around slightly adding, uh, adding summoning, um, just different things like this, that, that it, it kind of feels like, and in my, in my opinion, I would say that they maybe did it right. Instead of delaying a game longer to do some small things, this is just my estimation or even a guess, but, you know, maybe they identified some things that they could have worked on longer and just kind of were able to figure out ways to not release it at first so they could finish working on some of the stuff and then release it weeks later. Right. Um, Now, again, that's just pure speculation on my part, but... um, Either way, the way they did it, it, it just it, it makes more sense to me than to release something that either doesn't work or something that feels chopped, and, and yeah. it was never make it back into the game because they just abandoned it because they couldn't they couldn't finish it. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, it feels more like you know the the patches and the thing or the little things that come, they're not fixing problems, they're balancing the game. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, the game was complete. It wasn't a broken game from to begin with. I feel like they're 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 watching the player base and they're balancing the game to make sure it plays as intended versus, uh, you know, just fixing something that was broken from the beginning. Yeah. Uh. Well, obviously we all like it. Uh, I don't know if this game is for everyone, uh, but I think like you said earlier, uh, Matt, those people who are playing Elden Ring, it like they have already pretty much discovered it, right? And those people who aren't, they probably it's it's probably not for them. But it is a great game. It's a lot of fun. If you haven't checked it out, at least go check out some of the videos on YouTube and things like that, and and see if you like it. If you're a Dark Souls fan or the Ghost of um, what is it, the Ghost of Tsushima? Ooh, that's Sekiro. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, so yeah, if you're a fan of if you're, if you're a fan <laughs> of uh, of uh, uh, Dark Souls, like this is absolutely the game for you. So check it out. Uh, let's see, Dan, how was your Geek Week, buddy? Um, you know, I've had a lot going on uh, outside of geekery, but our uh, Klingon Empire group got together on Friday. It had been a long time, and we're really starting to get a hang of the game, even though f- one player didn't show up. There's a, It's a five-player game. One player didn't show up, and only one other player rem- found their character sheet, and there were three <laughs> players with no character sheet. <laughs> so I have a file of backup characters, and it worked really seamlessly. And in fact, that's like your ship in Star Trek, you know, the Federation Star Trek's the same way. You're supposed to play background characters sometimes. It's okay. Yeah. You're supposed to break, cycle them into the story. And so they had a lot of fun playing these, the characters that are usually sitting on the ship while they go off an adventure that they, those, those folks got their time in the sun and it is a really lethal game. I mean, any, so any, lethal. any, I love com- it. any combat that goes over three rounds, everybody's really starts freaking out that they're going to die. Um, and that's one of the reasons you can start, you can, Oh, your character died. Just play one of these other crew members. Look, you're replaceable. Bing. And, um, you know, like in Star Trek Three, the the Klingon officer accidentally blows up the uh, science vessel on <laughs> on SETI Alpha. That happened. That literally, literally happened. They were trying to. Um, there was a, a a Gorn ship that was escaping that had a prisoner, and they were trying to get a prisoner off the ship. And they couldn't beam it out. And so they target the engines and they wail on the engines and they're like, okay, next round, we, we don't need to wail on it. We just need to burn off the shields. It's only got a few more points of shields and then we'll beam our guy out and everything will be just fine. And of course, that's not what happened. Uh, <laughs> you know, they had disabled the engines and then they were just trying to burn off shields that it would target a specific area. And then they rolled on the random table and then they hit the engines. And so... <laughs> They had a That's very amazing. difficult time beaming that guy off. I, I figured out a rules loophole that allowed him to get off before the warp core exploded. Uh, but there was a lot more interaction that was supposed to happen between them and the Gorn captain. <laughs> so uh, it's, and, and it really does feel like everything that you do on the ship matters to keep everybody alive. And, and it can all go south in a moment's notice I could really feel the tension ratcheting up. So Give this give this game a chance if you want to feel like you're a crew and and um, and everybody can't screw up. We had one person who, you know, these are games where somebody has to decide to be the captain, and I knew that she's a person who has strong opinions and she purposely didn't make herself the captain, and she's just putting her teeth in her tongue, going, "Oh, the captain, but maybe if you min max this and min max that, it would all work out." <laughs> And I would just look over at the captain player and say, what are your orders, captain? Nice. <laughs> and it would be the opposite of what the other player wanted. So <laughs> good fun. It's great. It's great. It's cool having an, a, a non-standard morality in a game. It's like the one of the worst things that happened was not murdering innocent Gorn. The worst thing that happened was is we had a player try to interrogate, um, a Klingon try to interrogate um uh, a, a, they were trying to rescue somebody, but they turned them into prisoners because the Klingons, were, they were being jerks. They, they just assumed they were bad. And so they threw him in the brig and were yelling at them. But he failed. A Klingon failed on it like a, a, on an interrogation check. And I had this human just ream him out. 
And it was like, I'd never seen a player get his tail tucked between his legs. You call yourself a Klingon? <laughs> That's so, so funny. It's really fun. We're having a great time with it. Uh, the, the other That's thing awesome. is um, we've been everybody's doing still friends. Everybody's yeah, still right. friends. Yeah, you got to have a group where you can you can kind of be rough and tumble a little bit. Uh, my son and I, he he, we took him like three and a half years ago to a um, a Viking festival, and he got really inspired. And we bought him this really nice wooden sword that was made out of some really nice wood, and he plays with that thing all the time. And the thing is solid wood too. If he hits you with it, you really feel it. So. He's been wanting a shield for a long time, so I made him a nice kind of circular 18-inch diameter shield and put like a metal handle on the back of it, and he wanted to paint it as a as a, as a a Pokeball, and we did that. It was really, really <laughs> cool. So now he's got a sword and Pokeball shield, and he's just, he's just a cool little Viking, that guy. And um, part of that, I have to get all these wood, woodworking projects behind me is – um, I went and bought some more Forstner bits. Now, if you guys who are not woodworking guys, Forstner bits are great because they, when you drill into wood, they leave a, a flat bottom. And so I'm I'm building out a palette for my Citadel paints that just came in the mail. The Citadel paint pots, as I was told by Justin, have a bad reputation of being knocked over. And so, well, the the washes mostly. The washes. Yeah, yeah, the taller ones, yep. Well, if you drop any cylinder into three quarters of an inch deep, you know, wood cylinder, it's going to be a lot harder to knock over. That is true. So um, that's one of the other little things I'm doing. Is I, I have to, I, I had to build a bookshelf and a, and a pokeball shield in order for me to work on my the next woodworking thing I wanted to do in the queue. Whatever it takes. Which was, which was geek oriented. There, yeah. yeah. Meg, you're getting, you're getting your, uh, you're getting your bookshelf tonight because <laughs> there's other things I want to do in the wood. I mean, shop. you're using the, you're using the contrast paint too, right? Uh, that's yeah. what like, so that's the stuff that'll tip over pretty easy as well. Yeah. And I got because it's eight. tall and it's very liquidy, right? So yeah, I got eight of them in the mail uh, a few days ago. So I'm be curious to, to know your opinion on uh, the Citadel contrast paints versus the um, Army Painter Speed. What do they yeah, call them? Like the, the Speed, speed paint. paint. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you listen to our last episode where we talked about that? Not last oh. episode, but. Um, I saw the paint to, or not to paint. Uh, didn't, did you Part discuss two. that in that one? Yeah, that's what at, I was at. At, at, gr- at great length. Paint. There's a whole yeah. show on it. Oh, you okay, edited cool. it. <laughs> <laughs> I edited the bookmarks on right. the front and back. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just I just zinged you for not listening. It's okay. It's okay. Do, you, do you not listen to your own show? It's on my to do list. <laughs> it's on my to do list. Well, you know, when I'm gone for a week and they record five episodes, it yeah. takes oh, a while behind. to get to them. He's behind. Well, also, there, there's Elden Ring to play, too. Download, so them, for right. the, yeah, download them for the plane ride, okay? Okay? Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jay. I didn't mean to call you out. I'm it's sorry. okay. I normally try to listen to them. I just haven't gotten that one yet. Yeah. Anyway, there's it, we, we go very deep into the subject, and, and I will not belabor our listeners at the second. Short answer, when, which ones do you like better? I haven't tried. I just got the Citadels in the mail. Oh right, right, right. And right. Okay. um, and my goal is to add additional colors that I don't have in Army Painter. Gotcha. And okay. Citadel does a nice job of co- having complementary colors that that are unique, um, you know, different hues and stuff. Because long story, very long conversation short, mixing is a little bit harder with contrast paint uh, yeah. for for a bunch of reasons. You can do it; it works fine. It's just not as intuitive as it would be working with a normal. Uh, 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 acrylic or, or uh, oil paint. 
So that's my two cents there. And I'm looking forward to getting that thing done and, and uh, getting getting some more minis painted. Awesome. That's music to my ears, my friend. I know. I'm, more I'm, minis I'm, painted, right? I have drunk the Kool-Aid. <laughs> I've drunk the miniature ink. In fact, I had to touch up the pokey, the Pokeball Shield, and I got out the miniature paints to touch nice. it because I spray-painted it with masking and stuff like that. But I had a few places to clean up. I'm like, I'll get out my mini paints. They, they, have, <laughs> they have more pigment. <laughs> Very nice. It's cool Very to know nice. the Vikings were fans of uh, collectible card games, too. It's okay. As long as he's ha- as long as he's happy. Yep, there you go. Uh let's see for for my geek week, uh something big happened. My wife decided on a whim that she didn't like where my hobby space was. Um and it was mostly because well, it it's actually kind of a good thing. She didn't like how crowded it was starting to get. Okay. Oh, this could right? have, this could have taken a really bad turn. I came yeah. home from work one day and all my minis were gone. <laughs> that would have been All my clothes were on the front lawn too. Listen, <laughs> uh I don't advocate divorce very often. Uh but had all my minis been gone, it would have been a bad day in court, boys. <laughs> <laughs> i'll mention that to her next time yeah right uh no so she just she said like look you're you're getting a little cramped you're doing a lot more with your podcasting you need you need some more space you know mm. and it's true like i mean i was kind of like podcasting where i'm painting and all this stuff and and so um we decided to flip some rooms in the basement <laughs> And so um, it was a it was a big effort on Thursday and Friday. Like we had like a bunch of Lowe's runs and Home Depot and and IKEA and all this stuff to try to get some. You know, I had to switch TVs. I we had to move couches. We had to, you know, move treadmills and and desks and all this stuff. And so, long story short, I'm in a much bigger room. I got a new, uh, sto- a new shelving unit for my minis. So I have two of them now instead of just one. Um, I've got two bookcases for my stuff, and I'm going to have my own sort of – it's a writing desk that I'm going to podcast off of and then be able to set up for, like, miniature photos and things like that. This this is pretty amazing. Think about it. It's not too often that our wives walk into our hobby spaces and say – you know what? You should really, you should really kick this up a notch. I, I agree. You should take this please, to the next please level. expand this at my house. Right. I know, right. I know, <laughs> guys. I know. This is why this made Geek Week. Yeah, and like... we've already firmly established that his wife is way out of his league. So the oh, fact that she's too. doing that, yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I'm, 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 I'm wondering what I did right in my previous life. You know, <laughs> she at one point had advocated for me to get a six by four gaming table down here. What? as well and i said you i would love yes. to i no, i would have loved to i guys i i really don't have the space for it like yeah. a six yeah. by four that'd be hard um it's just my the room that i'm in is kind of narrow so i i told her i said baby i love you and i thank you very much for that but it's just not gonna fit but i would totally have taken you up had it been any other space you know um but she wanted me to like have it all set up to like do video recordings and all this stuff too so yeah like Dang. I know. So I'm sitting in my new space. It's not quite done yet. We're still waiting for a couple bookshelves and the table to come for uh, for like the space. But um, I've been kicking around the idea of doing some of video podcasting as well. You know, and Jason and I have talked a little bit about a streaming service that 
we've been thinking about. And um, if we do that, I've got a nice, I'll have a nice setup to like kind of put behind me, you know, instead of like a treadmill and a sign that says make the magic happen, you know? <laughs> so, my goodness. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, we're looking pretty good. Um, my second Geek Week thing, uh, I did a lot of hobbying over the last week. I finished the Red Harvest terrain that I had been working on for a long time, so it's all ready to go. I, um, I'm about halfway done painting the Stormcast um, out of the Dominion box, and they're looking really cool. So I'm, I'm painting them kind of according to, like, the Roman Legion. So I have painted them with, like, steel armor and accentuated with reds and then golds. And uh, so they have, like, red cloaks. They have some red shields. I'm going to give them red lightning weapons because they're, they're a Thundercast, uh, Thunderstrike host right so they kind of thunder like, thunder thunder yeah cast. they use a lot of lightning lightning stuff so i'm going to put some freehand lightning cats reference i'm interrupting yeah. with, so. <laughs> i'm going to put a i'm going to put a I bunch of exactly i'm going to put a bunch of like freehand lightning on the shields i think it's going to look pretty cool um and yeah but i'm like pretty much i'm getting close to being done with them i got to do the lightning effects and a couple more trim things and uh yesterday uh, while we were watching our church's conference that happens twice a year, uh, my family's like, well, we all want to be in the same room and not necessarily down in your hobby room. So I said, that's <laughs> fine. I'll come up with you, <laughs> you know? And so, so I brought up my uh, kill team box that I had since last summer and I started putting it together and I've got everything put together except for four orcs. I need to put four orcs together, but the whole box is built. Which is uh, pretty good, seeing as I literally unwrapped it yesterday. Cool, so, man. Cool, cool. Yeah, uh, a lot you. of good hobbying stuff. So I am, I am fighting. I am fighting the gray. I am fighting it. So lots of good stuff. But anyway, yeah. Like, sounds like we all had a pretty good geek week. It's been a while since we talked about it. So yeah, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things have happened. So, but that takes us into our next segment, which is the geek news. Oh, baby. Oh, baby, you'd think I would have already done this. <laughs> you'd think I would have already been vamping. Welcome to Tabletop and Beyond News. Sorry, I have to do that. It makes me I don't feel think, good. I don't think we will ever make that any different. I, I, why I just, should I we? love it. Right. I know, exactly. <laughs> it's different every time. That's my goal. Yep. <laughs> We would just record it once and play the beat over and over again, but this way it's got it's got character. It's we, fresh, and character means lack of craftsmanship. Okay, <laughs> and all the kids love the low res stuff these days. It's all yeah. low res. Who cares? You make it a little more lo fi, right? Exactly. Don't try to impress everybody. Not gonna happen. <laughs> Speaking of things that are gonna happen, there's uh, Chaos Chaosium has announced the launch of two new tools for both Call of Cthulhu and RuneQuest, the role-playing game in Glorantha. Uh, the Call of Cthulhu wiki and the RuneQuest wiki are live now and contain a wellspring of information on both rules and lore for both tabletop role-playing systems. New players interested in either system will find the wikis one of the best ways to take a look at the base rules and settings for both Call of Cthulhu and RuneQuest. So I was, um, I got this email from Chaosium, right? Uh, and they had sent it. And they basically, uh, later on in the email, they said that it's pretty much all the rules that you can find in the starter set. 
wow. that's on the wiki. Yeah, Jeez. you know, yeah. which is pretty amazing. If you think about it, they've kind of made it open source at this point. And um, I think it's kind of awesome. And what a, what a great way to reference stuff instead of having to like dig through forums from 2009 or something like that, you know? Yeah. Well, and merging uh, the lore wiki with the rules wiki is really smart because I don't know how many times I've had to, jump in between like Wikipedia for Star Wars, jumping into books that are not digital and going back and forth, back and forth, trying to figure out, okay, now what in the book here was in the cartoons and what mm. was in the, you know, the books and what, what's not. And ironing all that stuff out is kind of a pain in the butt. It seems like they want to uh, make things smooth for their, for their folks. So I love it. It's cool. Yeah, very yep. cool. I would say it's uh, just a clarification point there, right? It's it's not open source. Like, it's still all copyright Chaosism Inc. Um, yeah, but, uh, but that's true. Yeah, thank just you. Just the fact that they made it available for ease of access is great. It shows that, the, you know, this company cares about uh, the accessibility for the community. Right. And imagine how much fun it would have been to have this wiki live and well while we were playing. Yeah, and, versus yeah. Uh, trying to load one of those, like, 200 megabyte pdfs on my phone and scroll through it (laughs) and the book book diving digitally yeah so uh, thumbs up our next item of news is modifius has announced the release of another star trek adventures briefs pdf with starbase adventures it's now available on modifius.net modifius.us and drive through rpg i just downloaded my copy this free PDF offers 10 starters for RPG adventures based around these waypoints, which often act as gathering places for a wider variety of interstellar travelers and are often magnets for adventure and intrigue. Starfleet officers and other travelers encounter a wide variety of situations, be they hazardous or benign, while stationed at or visiting these types of waypoints. Um, and it's cool. I've downloaded it. And each of the adventure seeds has suggestion on the different kinds of roles that might be spotlighted during the adventure. So for instance, they're not all for the commanding officer. Some of these are for the medical officer. Some of these are for the chief of security. Some of these are for the engineer. Um, so they're kind of cool and it costs nothing on drive through RPG. It's pay what you want. And on the Modifius website, it is $0 to download. So if you're playing uh, star Trek adventures, there's no reason not to pull them down. I think, I think it's awesome because, you know, some of the best episodes on like star Trek, the next generation were the ones where they were randomly visiting some space station you know, whether yeah. it be in space or some, you know, spaceport that's on a planet or something like that. And, you know, something happens there, right? Like something wild happens and then they get caught up, you know, either as an away party or something's happening on the ship while the people down on the planet are doing something. And, you know, like there's some really great, great episodes that take place in this type of setting. So why not have, you know, not just a space you know rpg you've got to have like the space ports and and you know places like that i think it's great yeah i mean the original trouble with tribbles episode is completely based on them showing up at a starbase so yeah it's good stuff it's fun it's great um like i said i've i've uh 
I jumped in, uh, like I had mentioned on the podcast many times, to get into Star Trek Adventures, and I, I it is a different system. Uh, my bra- my over forty brain sometimes needs to book dive because I haven't memorized the rules like I have other systems, but I like it, and it feels like the show, and that's the thing. Everybody who I've played with walks away going, "Wow, that felt just like the show or like the movie." Yeah. So, give it a whirl. Um, and as far as um, humanitarian giving goes, there's Roll versus Evil. They have a note that says, "Get your game on to help innocent people suffering from the war in Ukraine." Modifius is helping combat evil human traffic traffickers, kidnapping refugees at the border, providing emergency places to stay for women. And children in Poland funding medical supplies for those hurt in the bombings and evacuation for disabled and senior citizens. It's easy to take part and just play a game, whether it's Monopoly or with your grand magic with your mates, D&D with your crew, or any of our games. Throw some doneros down for playing, money for a reroll or redrawing a card, anything that's fun, then donate it. On our Just Giving page, every dollar we raise is being matched up to $130,000. So we should link to this in our social medias. Um, it's justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash evil. So that's justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash evil, all one word. And you can uh, use money to help people who, obviously, we're all watching the news and it's getting worse over there every day. So um, I'm sure this is, uh, we'll we'll go to uh, a good good effort, a good, uh, for a good use and know that your donation will be matched up to $100,000. So um, that's $130,000. That's pretty cool. Very, very good. Very, very good. Uh, the last bit of news that uh, I wanted to cover was that the Nova Open is live. And I know that I have been on the show and talked about how the Nova Open kind of ticked me off. You've talked you've talked some legit smack. And uh, it was well warranted, uh, in my opinion. However, the Nova Open is under new management. Um, and I did end up getting my credit from the previous years when it was canceled. Really? So I did. I did. It what? wasn't, it wasn't all of it, but it was a significant chunk of it. You're kidding. Like a, no, dead serious. So, um, I ended up getting a massive credit for this year, uh, this year's events, which is amazing, which is uh, going to allow me to take a, uh, display level painting class at six hours long. Oh my gosh! Um, I know, and I'm so excited about it. <laughs> That's so, crazy. So yeah, Justin, real quick. Um, yeah, I I don't know what Nova Open is. There may be some people who okay. don't know what Nova Open is. Ah, so. yes. <laughs> this is great. That's great. Let me talk about it because I think this is something that you would be interested in, Matt. Um, so the Nova Open started out as like a Warhammer bar- backyard barbecue that uh they were raising some money for charity and it was like 30 players and they you know all chipped in money and then like the proceeds basically went to charity uh it has grown since then to where i think in 2019 there was 15,000 people that came and played there yeah uh maybe 20,000 like it's not gen con level that where you get like the 75 to 100 to 150,000 people 
you know, unique people that, that come over the weekend. Uh, it's not like that big, but it's still pretty big. It's primarily a wargaming convention. So, like, you're talking the biggest tournament there is Warhammer 40K, um, followed by Age of Sigmar and X-Wing and Armada. Uh, like, those are the big tournaments, you know, that you have. Uh, but you've got a lot of other stuff there, too. So uh, I'll be running, actually, this year a Warcry tournament, oh which is a one-day tournament. Awesome. I know. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, it, I was looking for Warcry, and I noticed that it disappeared from the, the, the tournament, the competitive tournament disappeared from the listing, and it was just the narrative. And so I reached out. It's actually on our podcast with James, our last podcast, James O'Brien. Um, he was talking Warhammer, and he is, a, he is in charge of pretty much all of the Age of Sigmar and Age of Sigmar-related events. So I was talking with him, and I asked him, I said, so, hey, are you not running Warcry, like, uh, competitively? And he says, yeah, the TO just wanted to focus on the narrative and didn't want to have to run a competitive thing. I said, well, if nobody's going to do it, like, I'll run it, you know? And I think, Jason, you pointed out, you said, well, dude, you're not going to be able to play, right? <laughs> so I had said, well, you know, if – but the thing is, is if I don't run it, like – I wouldn't be able to play anyway, right? Like, because it just wouldn't be there. So um, I decided to jump in and TO it. And so we're going to have a – it's a up to 32-person tournament. Uh, it's going to be on Thursday. So we're really excited. But, yeah, Matt, like, there's there's a lot of, like, wargaming tournaments. But there's a lot of other, like, things there too. They have, like, Frostgrave. They've got some board game demos. They've got RPGs that you can do. Again, I wouldn't like put it in the same category as like a Gen Con in terms of well, RPGs you know, and board games, but they've got Con, offerings. Gen Con is yeah. really in its in its own league. Um, yeah. Yes, this is a tabletop uh, gaming convention that's grown beyond the competitive, you know, miniature war games. They've they're jumping into other things, but yeah. it, it is a really it is a high quality event at a very nice venue. There's a lot of events like this around the country. Um, you know, it reminded me of, of uh, going to Kublai Khan in yeah. San Francisco where everything for a long time all fit inside one hotel. And that's the same thing with this one. But it takes up the whole, whole hotel. And uh, mm -hmm. now they've, they've branched out to a couple other buildings. But um, Yeah, the, war, cool. Age of, the Age of Sigmar stuff is going to be across the street in the Renaissance Hotel building. Um, which is literally like a three minute walk from door to door, right? Like it's right across that little street. So, but the fact is, is they branched out into their own venue now, which is kind of nice. So, you know, <clears throat> what's interesting here is I'm pulled it up and I realized I was given some misinformation about Nova Open. Ooh. Oh. I was told it was the week prior to the week it actually is. What? So now I actually can go. <gasps> no, oh, Jason. Yep. So uh, someone <laughs> told me that it was the week of the 26th of August. Oh, and who told you that? It was not me. I didn't say that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> he thinks I did. Anyways. I said it was, it was Labor Day weekend. I said it was Labor Day weekend. <laughs> Earlier in the podcast, you said that. But anyways. Oh, dear. Oh, no. No, it's okay because now I can go. But <laughs> okay, uh, well, now I got to make sure there's actually tickets left because I missed the opening salvo there. But uh, yeah, this is great. This is great news. But. Um, you know, I'm excited to see you host uh, your first grand tournament at a convention, and hopefully, this will be the beginning of uh, something you like to do in the future. We'll see how it goes. 
one of our new one of our New Year's resolutions was yep. to host a big event. Yep. Oh well, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. Mm-hmm. I we said that, right? We to did. host an event. And here you go. Here we so are. We're letting you satisfy our New Year's resolution. <laughs> so <laughs> well look <laughs> we need to talk out after the show about some logistics because I've got questions and some ideas I don't want to belabor our listeners with us doing our kind of in the you know, uh, inside baseball planning, but I've I've got some ideas I want to throw your way. And I, before I, I'm on the Nova open website right now, I've got stuff in my cart, but before I click, (laughs) before I click anything, I want to talk to you offline. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one of the cool things about being connected with James and for those that may have missed the episode, uh, just before this, it's our talking Warhammer episode with James O'Brien, um, that literally just came out right before this episode. Uh, we decided that we are going to do a list review of the Age of Sigmar lists uh, before the tournament. So that's going to be really cool to have him sit down. We're going to bring in a couple of ringers that we know, like some of the like the really good players that are out there, and just kind of go through the lists and talk about how good they are, what they're looking like, and stuff like that. Um, and I plan to do a similar thing with the Warcry lists with uh, Dan Herrera, our co-host of the uh, winning war cry segment of our podcast as well. So um, I think it's a great way to bring attention to these great games with our community and also just let our podcast kind of be a, kind of a thought leader in the space a little bit. So I love it. It'd be cool. It. Well done, sir. Well played. Yeah. Well played, yeah. my friend. Well played. So it's going to be great. Uh, looking forward to it. But uh, we'll give you guys obviously more information as we get a little bit closer um we're not uh we're not to the point yet where um i've got everything ironed out for the tournament but uh we're really excited about it I so want, if you are i yeah, want everybody ahead. to know that if you're in the northern virginia or area where you could get to crystal city virginia to go to nova open and you want to play in justin's war cry tournament there are currently nine out of 32 spots left Ooh, so it's filling um, up so fast. They, they filled up. Well, no, th- I think there's there's twenty. I think there's nine tickets sold. Oh, I, I think there's twenty. I think yeah. <laughs> uh, I yeah, that's I okay, think buddy. 20. You're gonna sell okay, them. It's okay. Exactly. Up fast. I think there's twenty five tickets left. <laughs> I was trying to tell everybody that it's so great. It's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, well, it'll be good. I it, it'll fill up as we get closer. Warcry isn't. Um, isn't as like uh, in high demand as like the Age of Sigmar Grand Tournament, right? Just because it hasn't been around for for as long. But you'll, I, I won't be surprised to see if we get a good solid 20, 20 people in there. And if we get twenty people, I'll be really happy about that. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so let's get on yeah. with the podcast because I got all kinds of things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> We've got a great, uh, great topic here. Like I was saying earlier in the podcast, um, we had done a video review of the Call of Cthulhu starter set game, and I tagged Chaosium in our in a tweet saying, "Like, hey, we just reviewed your board game or your RPG game, and we loved it. We thought it was amazing." And they hit me back and said, "Well, would you be interested in reviewing uh, RuneScape?" And Rune I said. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe I said RuneScape. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> RuneQuest, would you be interested in reviewing RuneQuest, our RPG game? And I said, absolutely. I know nothing about this game, but they had a starter kit, and they they mailed it to me, 
and they sent me PDFs of it, which was super helpful in being able to read through the material and prep for the game and have the physical stuff in my hand as well. So we want to talk about the RuneQuest, not RuneScape, RuneQuest RPG with you today. And uh, we had the chance to play it, what was it, about two Saturdays ago, three Saturdays ago? Three Saturdays ago. And uh, work through it. And we had we had a, a great time with it. But we want to give you our impressions of it. So, uh, Jason, why don't I let you kick us off here? Okay. Um, well, uh, so the setting of RuneQuest is... And I think, Dan, you said it really good. Glorantha or something like that. But uh, I've got it right here because I've got the wiki up. That's right. I've got it up too. Is um, Glorantha. Gl- well said, my good sir. Um, I think that uh, it was an interesting setting, right? This is one that um, has more of a Bronze Age or Iron Age feel to it. Um, it's, you know, the... I often wonder this in magic settings. Like, if you have magic that is so pre- prevalent, is it going to stump technological development? Uh, ah, and I think you kind of get a little hmm. bit of that feel here because it's so accessible to do so many things that we solve with technology in our world, I'll say, that you can just use magic to solve it. And if everybody has access to magic, which I think this this world kind of uh, is, then it kind of still has a little bit of that old technology level feel to it. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, like why would why would you become a master surgeon if you could just cast a spill and right. everything sutures up perfectly. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter, right? Like you don't need to be a bone doctor if you could just like wave your hand over it and tap into your magic reserves and dun da 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 like the bone's perfect again. So yeah. that's kind of yeah. interesting. Help your crops grow by rather than doing irrigation, just say a prayer to your God and do some sort of ritual thing or, you know, things like that. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, and and like like D and D, there are an enormous amount of gods. I think in this system, I think the starter kit probably just introduced us to maybe a handful of of what the the starting characters had in them. But uh, mm-hmm. I think that there's so much magic, but there, it's not there's not just magic uh, like in D and D where you kind of tap into the arcane. I think all of the magic, at least, and this is the impression I got from playing the starter box, all of the magic is tied to a deity of some sorts. Like you're pulling your magic from runes that are that are tied to some sort of cosmic power bigger than us on the planet. That's the, kind of the impression I got from that. I think the other impression too that is that like D and D, if you look at the list of like pantheon of gods, you're like, oh, they it's like just three totally pages. three pages, and they took from. Egyptian gods literally lifted their names, took from Norse gods, literally lifted their names, you know, and they've sure they've made up some of their own and, you know, I mean, took reference from Greek gods or Norse gods or whatever. And that's totally fine. Right. Um, The the gods in this one felt more like, again, this is Bronze Age, right? So you're talking like ancient Egypt, Sumerian style, like Babylon, you know, like ancient Babylon type of gods right so you're talking like there's there's got to be zool in there somewhere mm-hmm. right <laughs> zool the destroyer you know there is <laughs> only gotta be... zool. <laughs> so so um, pyramids start there coming is down. no day yeah exactly only zool. <laughs> so i'm i 
I liked where they went with the gods because they, it definitely felt more like it was uh, original is the wrong word. I mean, it was still kind of derivative of like, you know, some of Earth's ancient gods, but um, it didn't feel so cut and paste into the system. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, where you've just kind of merged pantheons together and said, <laughs> well, anything can really kind of go because there's an infinite number of planes of existence right. and all, you know, that kind of stuff. It definitely yeah, so, felt a little more like uh, bounded. Go yeah, ahead, Matt. Uh, that that's something that that I I think is on one hand a little restricted um, in this this Bronze Age feel kind of restricts you into this certain time um, and maybe these certain pantheon where some of the other things like D and D it's more open and, and allows you to kind of do mm -hmm. what you want. Um, that being said, I mean it, it's also interesting to note that uh, as Jay, Jason, as you said, that almost every character here is a magic user, right? Because of the runes. So they have spirit magic as well as rune magic. And I mean, you can have a fighter who is heavily reliant on some form of magic. And so yeah. even though, even though the setting to me seemed slightly restrictive, they just opened up the characters to be really allow you to create whatever you wanted in, in your character. And so I, I kind of like that about the setting. Yeah, I yeah, think dude. that's an interest, interesting point for sure, which is um, there weren't really any classes oh, yeah, because absolutely. of that, mm -hmm. right? Um, you didn't have a cleric. You didn't have a, you didn't have a wizard. You didn't have a sorcerer. Um, and because you didn't have those things, you also didn't have a barbarian. You didn't have a fighter. You didn't have, you know what I mean? Like you didn't have these things because everybody could use magic. Everybody had access to use healing magic. And, uh, you know, everybody was trained in martial arts, you know, in terms of like being able to use swords or lances or like kind of different things. Like you had different backgrounds and we can talk about that a little bit, but like you didn't have the same class system, which I thought was right. kind of interesting because it didn't bound you into being just one kind of person. Mm -hmm. It felt very much um, like there would be, now to be fair, we only played the pre-gens, right? That's right. Uh, but I yeah. think, um, you know, Matt and, and some other people that play with us took an opportunity to kind of look, explore the character creation on their own. Uh, I fell, I feel like this system would really open the door to really just create the character you want without having to feel like you have to start from a specific uh, typecast and, and try to evolve from that typecast like, you know, D&D can at some points. Just my thoughts. No, very, uh, very good. I, I think, um, in that sense, the the character creation matched the theme very well, right? Oh yeah, for sure. So I think that that was one of its strengths uh, that it had is that uh, this game definitely felt very thematic, like it definitely felt Bronze Agey, and we'll kind of get into like the combat. I felt felt very Bronze Age. It was very you know? true. Yeah, very true to it, and. And I'm going to second that is, you know, played a lot of d and I've played a lot of fantasy systems. This one felt like everything inside it was always going to feel true to the setting, no matter what, what GM you played with, what story arc you were playing. I felt like it had enough of a kind of, I know it may sound bad. Uh, it had enough of kind of like you know the the bumpers in the bowling alley set up so that anything you did would feel like it stayed true to the world that it was in. Uh, so I, I kind of like that. Um, 
I like the flexibility of sitting down and playing a system where a GM has a lot of a lot of uh, a freedom to create. Uh, mm-hmm. But I also like the that if I sit down to play RuneQuest, I know what kind of game I'm going to be playing, uh, even if it's a one shot with a new party that I haven't played with before. Yeah, I think it's a game that knows what it is, right? That's and I well think said. that that yeah. I, I think that that is kind of one of its strengths. And it, it has I, a really strong yeah. internal logic between the lore and how that affects your stats, and that was super refreshing because we just talked about how yeah, well, everyone has access to magic and your gods and character creation. Well, it doesn't feel like magic is a bolt-on to every class. Like in mm-hmm. some games, it's like well, you know, you're you know, you're a rogue, but if you're a rogue that uses magic, you, you use this subclass. Or you're a, you're a fighter, but if you're a fighter that you're, uses this magic, you're an eldritch knight. You know what I'm saying? Magic was not a bolt-on. It's like, hey, this is my background. My background entitles me to these things. This is my belief system. My belief system entitles me to these things. And it felt all very, it, it felt because the the lore has been around since 1975, you know they've had like 46 years to battle test the internal logic of of the universe, which is cool. And so this came out. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the date, Dan. This came out, I think, two years after D and D was first published as well. So this is like one of the OGs of RPGs that are out there. And where I think you see D&D expand into almost a multiverse type of thing, this one did not. No. You know, this one stayed like Glorantha, you know, and, um, and for, for good and bad, right? Like, I, I think uh, it does. it's not as adaptable, and so there's some people probably out there that are like, eh, I, you know, that's, it, it's not for me, so I'm going to go play something else. Whereas, like, with D&D, they might be able to, like, say, uh, this this book setting's not for me. Let me homebrew something else that I like better, yeah. you know, and, and that you can do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the good part of it, though, is, again, like Jason said, when you sit down to play RuneQuest, you know what kind of game you're going to be playing. And I think that that's a strength. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think the lore is a huge barrier either. Because I think we were all kind of bought into the story with just a re- really brief introduction, so I wouldn't let that that be a a thing that turns you away. Mm. On the other, but but the the downside of that, as you'd mentioned before, it's not like we always joke about how we love Shadowrun, but we don't like the system, so we'll use other systems in <laughs> that universe. Mm. This would kind of this would not lend itself to that as easily as maybe we've done it in a couple other ways. Yeah. You wouldn't want to like take hmm. the system and like, you know, everybody's trying to use five E to run sci-fi, right? Like there's a gazillion ways to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think because of the way the runes and the magic works, it would take a lot more pretzel, pretzel twists to, to make that a reality. Not impossible, just a lot, a lot more effort. So let's talk about let's talk about the mechanics, right? Like we we got to play test this, and I thought you know we had a what a five hour session or something like that, and part of the reason why it went that long is because we were all kind of learning the system as we were as we were going along. Noob. Uh, <laughs> but let's uh, let's talk mechanics a little bit, uh, Matt. What did you think about the initiative system that RuneQuest had? The initiative system in RuneQuest, I. I... I mean, like most of the things 
I have to admit, when I was doing a little research on the game and when we started playing, it, it, it seemed to be like oh, there was a lot more to it than after experiencing it and getting to know it. It just seemed great. So I guess, you know, initially, like I said, I thought it would kind of get in the way. Okay, here's the, the numbering system, uh, the, the speed. Like everyone's, everyone is uh, assigned to speed, different attacks, different weapons. It's all assigned to speed, and you basically chart it and then and then go through that chart in order. It's, it's very different from Dungeons and Dragons where you're, you know, getting a uh, getting a roll, you know, just like a random roll, and you could do something faster or slower based on a random roll. This is literally your actions dictating how quickly you're you're moving. And um, while it seemed to, you know, just be kind of a, almost a hassle at first, once you got to know the system and once you got to understand, well, I can make a choice based on what I'm going to do in order to execute something along with other people and, and what we're doing as a group, it, it seemed not just to be very intuitive and, and, and a good system, but also to make sense story-wise. I mean, you know, when, when you're telling the story of combat, you know, to, to think that uh, the people in, in that are having combat together, the, the, the players, aren't communicating or aren't in some way, you know, uh, doing their actions based on a group and, and the other actions of people and the communication among the group, it, it does help there to, again, push the story of combat forward. And, and that was a big plus. Yeah, I like what you said there. So so they use what's called a strike rank system, right? There's 12 slots in there. And those 12 slots represent one full melee or one full combat round, right? And so you might have something where you say, I want to use my broadsword. And it says, okay, your strike rank is seven. So you'll go uh, on basically the seventh uh, iteration of that round. And if you want to move it costs you a strike rank as well. So if you want to say, like, I want to move to the guy and swing my broadsword, you might end up on strike rank 8 or 9 or something like that before you can actually do everything together because it takes time to do that, right? Like, you um, you don't just get to kind of go super fast and pretend like, you know, moving 40 feet didn't cost you any time at all <laughs> during, during combat, right? And so uh, I like what you said there where you get to tell the story of combat, you get to tell that narrative, and then the, then it's up to you guys to figure out where on the chart, where on the little tracker you would end up. Um, and I think a good example was Jason, when you, you, uh, you got caught by what we call Big Mama, which was this giant chaos spider beast thing, mm -hmm. um, had kind of tunneled up from under you, and you fell down into the tunnel that big mama came up out of. Right. And so, um, why don't you, why don't you walk us through like kind of what your thought was and, and how that worked with the initiative system. That was a good example of playing the meta game, right? Cause I thought, yeah. Oh, well I fell down into this hole. So one of my spells is I can, I don't remember what it was called, but I can, I can basically create a channel through dirt. Um, I can kind of like, you know, make like a, a rift, huge, right? yeah, like a rift. And so I thought, well, I fell down in this hole rather than try to climb out the hole. I'll just make a slanted rift up through the earth. So then I can run up this hill underground and pop out, you know, some, 
some meters away from this monster so that I can better assess the battlefield. And so I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the... I looked at the strike points to cast the spell. It was low. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to run a certain distance. Okay, that strike points was low. I still have some points left inside the 12-point track. And then uh, when I pop out, I'm going to want to uh, maybe attack with my, you know, with my sword so that I can get into the fray. And But when I, when I looked at that, I said, well, gosh, if I do all of those things, it's going to put me way at the back end of the strike. I think it put me like at 11. Yeah. And I said, man, that monster... I'm sitting right underneath that monster. That monster could do something before I get to come in my strike point. Uh, yep. So I was like, all right. So I basically had to limit what I want to do. I said, well, I'm just going to I'm gonna make cast the spell and run up, run up the ramp to get out of here. And that kept me at a really low point in the ranking so that I knew I was guaranteed to get that off before the monster did anything to me. And so it was, it was kind of an exposure, like Matt said. Like at first when I saw this ranking system, I thought, hmm. Seems like a lot of math and yada yada. But as we played it, I thought, ah, oh, kind of actually, it's cool because it, it doesn't feel like you're locked into this template of you get to do two things. You can move and attack. Move right. and attack. You know, it's really do whatever you want. You just have 12 units of time that you got to fit whatever you wanted to into. So it, get, it opened the door for a little bit of creativity. Right, and there's not this weird elasticity of oh, it's my turn because my initi- I have this high initiative ranking, yeah. and watch, I'm gonna I'm gonna chain link fifty actions together, and stretch out that simultaneous slot in a weird way, or which is something we see in other games. This one felt <laughs> like what what you're doing affects your initiative, what you're doing, and that yeah. and I've. I've never played an RPG that had that before, and that was cool. It also, for a strange reason, I was a, a, a guy who was really decent at fighting. However, I had a magic ability to, like, scare somebody off. Scare somebody off the battlefield. Well, that was useful, and I was able to, to use it maybe, you know, two out of four times that I attempted it. But I would do that because magic took a small amount of time. I would attempt that early early in the initiative round. And if it went off, I felt like I defeated a whole monster all by myself. That was great. But then for the rest of the round, it's like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> you know, okay, all right, well, I guess guess we're going to wait for the clock to come around again. And maybe I'll try this one spell again. Because magic is something that happens very quickly. And, it, you know versus more hand-to-hand combat which soaks up different amounts of time in the on the chart yeah it's kind of interesting and and it's kind of hard to explain without being able to sit down and see it but like for example you could if you're casting a spell that puts you at strike rank three right and you could say okay i want to cast a spell and then i want to draw my sword and then i want to go over and i want to hit them right we start adding that up it takes three strike ranks to cast a spell. Got it. All right. It takes five strike ranks to pull out your weapon. Okay. So now I'm in at eight. And then it, you know, to move up to the thing, it probably cost me two more. So that's at a 10. And then the strike rank to swing my sword is a seven. So, uh oh, I'm at 17. So that's too many to fit in that one round. So I got to pare that down. So maybe what I do is I just cast the magic and then pull out my weapon because I don't really want to move into combat if I can't swing i'll just be there as sitting tar you know sitting duck 
Um, you know, but you could also move and just do it so that you're in position the next turn and it's yeah. a low strike rank for you. So there's a balance that you that you play that you have to figure out. Um, and I think the con of this system right here is that we saw this in the beginning, right? When we were playing, which was that you had to figure out what you wanted to do on your turn. And if you weren't sure what that was, it took you a while to be like, oh, I'm a strike rank eight or nine or 12 or three or whatever it is. Like it took you a while to figure out like, okay, how long does this, does this work? But by the end of it, I felt like we were doing it really well. Like it would, it wasn't taking very much time to figure it out because you guys could do the mental math before I even asked you, right? I think Omar was like, okay, well, I know I'm going to move. It's going to cost me two. I'm going to hit with my sword. Boom. Like I'm at a nine, put me down for a nine, you know? And, yeah. and, um, I think if you know it, then it goes really well. If you don't know it, um, it's going to take you a little while to kind of get used to it. And it's, it's, good. it's very different. It's different and it's good. And it, I think it's, it's worth it. It's part of what makes this game different and unique. And, mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to play rune quest, that's a, that's a feature. If you would rather be playing a different system, then it's a bug. You know <laughs> right right good point good point in my opinion so yeah so i i like the combat or uh, the the initiative system i thought it was super unique i've never seen a game that does something like that uh the closest thing i think we got jason was maybe shadow of the demon lord where you had fast turn slow turn but even then that kind of pigeonholed you into like are you just attacking or are you attacking and moving right like yeah it, so. For sure. I think the fast turn, slow turn, and Shadow the Demon Lord is still an amazing initiative mechanic for fast play um, in a in an RPG setting. But you still had a very template of what you yep. can do on your turn. And I don't mean like what you can do, the specific actions, just you had a template of you move and you have an action. And like right. those, there's two things that you will be doing on your turn or if you take a fast turn one thing you will be doing on your yeah. turn whereas yeah. here it's really like i said before it opens the door to be creative you could do four things on your turn if it made sense to be able to do that in the time block allotted right exactly exactly so let's talk about i mean the game's called rune quest right so obviously runes are involved um the runes are interesting because everybody it, it talks about in the base materials that basically magic is everywhere everybody has this sort of uh, intuitive spirit magic that they can use right from their ancestors that imbue them with magic and that's where you get a lot of your base spells from uh but if you go and adhere to a certain deity and you have an affinity towards a certain deity then you join one of their cults and that's when you are taught rune magic and given runes that you you know either tattoo or mark on your body or some people brand them on there you know you've got these runes that uh, give you power and ability so uh, but it's more than just magic uh, uh jason why don't, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the cosmic powers with the runes so um <clears throat> you know there's the elemental affinities and the power affinities um and I think uh, on your character sheet, when you get it right out of the starter box, you're going to see it, you know, one side of your sheet will have it very kind of clearly identified as these are the runes. And the elementals are what you would think, right? Like water, earth, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think 
we actually used I didn't use those that much when we played. What I did use was the power, um, which is stuff like uh, well, let me see, let me pull one up here. But it's like life, death. Um, what, were, what were some of the other balances? I'm trying to pull a character sheet. Man, there's man, me. beast, life, yes. death, fertility, or was it fertility and death? Uh, fertility, um, yes, yeah. that was a big one, right? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got one right here. Here we go. It's uh, loading up on the. No, nah, I don't have it. it. Anyways, somebody can pull it up and find it. But I think that um, the the oh here it is the yeah so you got fertility, death, harmony, disorder, truth, mm -hmm. illusion, stasis, movement, and what was cool about those is that they are balanced to each other. So both of those values have to add up to a hundred. So, for example, if your harmony is 30, your disorder is going to be 70. And if you do things uh, as you play your character that lets you adjust one of those, the other one has to adjust in the opposite direction. So if my character starts to become more in harmony, then his disorder number is going to go down like it just has to. Yeah. Uh, but you can do these things. So that kind of describes your character, and you can do these things with that called um, runic inspiration. Where if I'm in a situation where, um, you know, let's say uh, I, I'm in a situation where I'm trying to, let's say, let's take a non-combat situation. I'm trying to help some important, you know, herbal plant uh, uh, make some, some, concoct some elixir from some herbs that are near me to be able to cure some disease or something. So I'm just making this up on the spot, right? I could go to the GM and say, look, I want to use my fertility. Uh, I, want to, I want to get a runic inspiration from my fertility side because I'm trying to do this thing that's going to promote or inspire life using, you know, kind of the world around me. And the GM could say, you know, okay, I like that. Then I would have to do a check and just, you know, I don't know if we've gone over the mechanics of the system, but it's very much like uh, Call of Cthulhu or, or any percentile-based system where you have to roll underneath uh, your score. So if my fertility score is a 45... I would have to try to roll under a 45 on a percentile dice. And if I do, depending on how well I succeeded, I would get a bonus to be able to try to attempt to make that elixir. Um, so I liked this because it left, it left the call for a bonus roll in the hands of the player. Like the GM wasn't yes. sitting there saying, yes. let's give you a bonus. It was the player's responsibility to look at their character and say, I think that I should go for a bonus with some runic inspiration in this way. And then the GM ultimately rules it, but it lets the players really take part in the story, I think. Yeah, uh, our friend Omar, who played with us, was always looking to do this, right? Like, he was like, I, I really feel inspired by this. And what it really encourages is playing into your character. Yeah. Like, really playing into your character. I thought it was good. Like, Matt, you used this a few times while we were playing, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. So I, I was playing, like, a... I guess, you know, a fighter who had a very high death and a uh, very high, um, uh, I don't remember what honor, the other one was. Right? What's that? Weren't, wasn't it honor? Like, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, honor yeah. And, and, and death. And um, so, you know, during fighting, of course, it was easy to, to look at that and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to try to get this inspiration from my death rune and you know do ha have better results out of my my fighting roles um and and at first when i when i was reading about these things and it's very, very similar it seems to be kind of a, a theme for me 
when I first saw it, I thought, well, this sounds like it's kind of overpowered. I mean, you're getting, you're getting asking for bonus on top of bonus. And, and this is just, uh, you know, this sounds like it's kind of too powerful. But again, in practice, it fit well with the systems of the game, um, where it enhanced the systems to the point where I didn't feel it was overpowered, but I just felt more in control of my character and what his actions were. And that was great. And again, telling the story, whether it's combat or, or an action, uh, like Jason was describing. Um, so in the end, for me, they were enhancing the story. They're enhancing my ability to play my character. Um, and and really, it, it, it made the, the game a lot more interesting and exciting. And I think it's important to note that um, you could only do this um, and, and there's another thing too that was called your passions, right? And it kind of like yep. went along with your runes. It was a little bit different. Your passions could be like your tribal, of, you know, your tribal affiliation. You had a real strong passion towards it, right? Your family. So like, if anything came up with your family, like it was like really important to you. You might have hate for something or someone, and so you could call upon your passions the same way, which is I I want to try to get bonuses to my roles, you know, to, to make it better. And um, it's important to note that you could only do one of these kind of calling upon your powers um, once per scene, right? So if you have an, a, a, a combat encounter, you could only call upon one power per scene. And if you failed it, you failed it, right? Like you just, you just didn't get it. Uh, if you failed it badly, then like you... Um, lost some some of your affiliation to the rune or passion or something like that um, but you could only do it once per scene so it didn't like it's not like you could do it every other minute and keep stacking bonus on bonus on bonus right, right. Um, and for the most part it just added 20% to your role so like sometimes like combat like maybe you were only at like 60% you know at a 60 to like hit with your sword so maybe you're an 80 which that that could be very well the difference between a hit and a miss, right? And that's great, um, but it wasn't like it was an auto hit. I, in fact, I think it was, I think it was more balanced than giving advantage in D and D, where you get to roll two numbers and take the higher, right? I think that that is a little bit more overpowered than just giving a twenty percent bonus. Now, if you rolled critically with your runes or your passions, then you could add you know thirty percent or even up to fifty percent. Um, on your on your dice so like you could be at a 30 you know to like do a check a skill check or something like that but if you rolled really well you could all of a sudden be in an 80 and that thing's you know going to help you get it off so um i i like this i i think you're right matt i don't think that this was too overpowered in the game i was worried about it being overpowered but i think its limitations helped it a lot well, one of the reasons why it wasn't overpowered and i think we'll we'll get into this a little bit more as we talk about the combat but um, is that that the it's the game world is a tough world. I mean, it you know it's a Bronze Age world where there are, are things that are somewhat unique to this game that make the world and combat tough. And I think that again, this just helped not just to play the role of your character, but to to be able to succeed. I think that I think that's a great point, which is the game wants you to do these things. Yeah right like to be able to succeed like it's like please please take advantage of these bonuses because you're gonna need yeah, them you're gonna need them <laughs> you're gonna absolutely need them so um you know if you're not doing it you're almost cheating yourself you know out there so 
Uh, but since you talked about combat, let's talk about combat. Uh, Jason, you put down here that it's very visceral. I did. I think, I think that this game, as I think Dan was saying earlier, it has a feeling true to the setting and the combat really does that. You know, it's a bronze age feel, uh, you're fighting hand to hand with rudimentary weapons at times. Um, and when you fight and when you hit, um, it's, you know, you can chop off limbs, you can chop off, uh, you know, know, uh, just other, you can hurt other parts of your body. It was very focused on the actual parts of the body. And I think that's what made it feel visceral to me. It's, you know, it's not just in D and D there's this armor class and you hit the armor class you know, if you meet or exceed the armor class, then in your roll, then it hits, and it's kind of up to the to the GM, depending on how colorful of a GM you have, to describe how the hit occurs. Whereas in this game, it's if you hit, you roll a dice to see where you hit, and depending on what you hit and how hard you hit it, you could knock out, you could lop off a guy's arm. Yeah, and it doesn't mean he's dead. Uh, it means he takes the he takes the hit points associated with that arm off of his character and if he's still up he's still up yeah and he can kind of keep keep kind of rolling at you uh however he wants you know whether it's black knight style or whatever <laughs> i was but, just gonna uh, say yeah <laughs> but just uh, a flesh but, wound yeah yeah <laughs> but i really like this because it f- i mean anytime i hit i was thinking am i gonna take a limb off or anytime i got hit i was like am i gonna lose a limb <laughs> you know it's it, it definitely felt very much more like uh, bloody hand-to-hand combat or, uh, uh, than just, you know, swing your sword and it either takes some points off of his generic hit points uh, or not. Dan, what did you think about the combat? I really thought it was cool. I, I'm going to agree with everything that's been said before. Um, I, I love a system where weapons break, and it's a Bronze Age thing. We've said it a lot of times, but... Um, you know, you may think that you're you're gonna just own in a couple bad rolls, and your your weapon's busted. It's kind of fun and cool. Um, the other thing about that is you've you gotta you, you really have to pay attention to the choices that you're making. Um, your choices matter. Instead of just attack, roll the d20, add your modifier. It's like okay, now I'm using this weapon that has these properties, and I. I know that if I have to defend with this this weapon in my hand, I know I'm better off than having another option. So it is more crunchy. It's more rules crunchy. So this is a kind of a level up experience, basically, I, that I want everybody to know. It's like that you're 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 going to be doing more stuff with combat than you would in D and D five E, but it'll pay off. Um, it'll make it more real. Yeah, it sl- it can slow the game down a little bit because you have to make many many rolls um, for the combat, right? So first off, you roll you roll the hit, um, you know, against your own weapon score. And so look, if I have a, a seventy five for my weapon score, then I have to roll under seventy five, so that that you know hits. And then your opponent gets a dodge or parry, which we can talk about in a minute. So they're going to make a roll there. And depending on the results, uh, you may need to make a roll for what body part it, it, it attacked. 
and also maybe make a roll for like the uh, damage that would happen, and also maybe make a roll for the damage your weapon takes, if any, right? Depending on the parry result. Uh, Matt, you had maybe the most awesome experience right at the beginning of the game <laughs> with your weapon, I think, right? I mean, I wouldn't say awesome. I mean, it made it was me... awesome for me. It was hilarious <laughs> to see your well, face. Here's what's cool though, because it wasn't awesome when it happened. Um, but it turned into a cool role-playing um, opportunity. And um, so, uh, yeah, so we, we went in initially to uh, to a fight. And, it, you know, I immediately being, again, the, the warrior-type character, I, I immediately dove in. And, and my character had a, a sword that was blessed by his god. And it was, it, man, I was pumped. I was ready to just jump in there and start <laughs> chopping off limbs. <laughs> Well, yeah, they're go you're going up a, a bunch of big trolls we, too, yeah, right? Yeah, with one, giant one bad roll by on me and by me, and well, one good roll by Justin. Yeah, it was an amazing roll. And, it uh, was like a critical success. Yeah, yeah, and and that sword was shattered from, from the initial <laughs> like attack. And uh, you know, I I wasn't sure. Again, we just started playing, so I wasn't sure how to feel about that. And uh, <laughs> finished up combat without me for the most part. And, uh, you know, I ended up turning it around to an honor thing and having to win back my, the favor of my God, things like that. But but it, it was it was um, a really interesting thing that happened right at the beginning and, and took me by surprise. But it, it taught me kind of a, a hard lesson, too. And it, it got me to know a little bit more about the counter system and understand uh, why it's effective and why um, it, it's it's fun to to have in the game. So I actually went from, again, feeling like I wasn't sure how, you know, whether I liked this or not. I mean, I kind of didn't because my sword was broken. But right. uh, and then, then to it winning me over and me feeling like, again, ultimately storytelling in the combat and, and being able to not just roll for my good hit, but to allow the opponent the opportunity to parry that hit away and, and just create more of a great story in the combat. Um, so it was, yeah, it, it was, it was a terrible situation, but it ended up uh, actually endearing me to the, to the countering system. So who would have thought? It was your face, your face when I was like, and your sword shatters was like, <laughs> wait, what? And I think like Omar next to me was like, wait, what? Like, and everybody's <laughs> looking around like his weapon can break. And I was like, oh yeah, it shattered. And everyone's like, I think everyone started looking at their character sheets at like their weapons. Like, <laughs> right, like, yeah. Do we have Did any backups? <laughs> right? It was pretty hilarious. Um, but you brought up Matt. You brought up the counter system. So why don't we touch on that a little bit? Because it is such an integral part of the combat system and the game overall. Yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 again, it, it creates a, a great story for me. When I think about combat and some of the other games out there um you know it, it's kind of a one-sided this is my action and i'm going to take it and it's and it it's dependent upon a dice roll that i make versus some static numbers but in this case the you know each side gets its own role and and again it helps tell a story as opposed to just uh you know my turn coming up rolling making an attack well well now there's more interact there's more interaction between both parties uh, it, it's it's more exciting and interesting, and again, it lends more towards 
ensuring that you're using your runes, using your other bonuses right. and your powers that are going to give you an advantage in this situation that is more of a toss-up because there's two rolls now happening instead of just your one roll. That's a very great point. That's a very great point. And you can parry and dodge, right? So you can dodge missile weapons. You can even try to dodge the melee weapons. Uh, but we noted just before the show started that the parry system is much more advantageous because usually your your roll for your weapons is much higher than your dodge. I think most everybody was around, like, what, 30 for a dodge? But you were all probably somewhere between 60 and 80 for your weapon parry. Yeah, with main weapons, right? yeah. Yeah, main weapons. So, um, and, and look, it, even having a, having a shield to parry helped a lot too right uh so you could you could have some people had like a broadsword some people had knives some people had a sword and shield some po people had a lance you know it just depended on like what weapons they were bringing to the table but shield definitely helped too right because it had more armor and and um and things like that so um it was really really good really good um let's talk about uh I think we touched on kind of the role playing aspect of it, right? Which I I felt like um, the the and I feel about I feel the same way about most hundred you know D one hundred percentile games, which is that I think that it gives you a wide wiggle room for role playing um, and narrating things, um, because it's a percentage. You know, you can fine tune your uh your narration a little bit more than if it's a d20 um and i think that that just is because you're going in increments of literally one percent if you need to versus uh five percent on a d20 so i don't know what do you guys think about that like the role playing aspect is, you know as a d100 system do you, th do you think that this was a good system for that or what um, I, what do you think? I, 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 yeah, I was gonna... You know, a flat probability curve is a flat probability curve. Um, a lot of systems have it, and that's just fine. You know, they giveth and they taketh away. And it doesn't matter if the flat probability, in my opinion, is 1 through 20 or 1 through 100. They're, that's fair. It's about, it's about the same. Does that mean you should always be pairing weird-shaped dice with each other just to kind of tweak with the curve? Not necessarily. Um uh, I, I I don't think it really hurt the the game. You know, there's a lot of a lot of games with flat probability curves, so it's mm -hmm. it's it's okay. Um, would I prefer it to be different? Sure, but that's just that's my preference, and I, I don't want to like jam that on anybody. I I just think that's my personal that's my personal mm -hmm. bugaboo. I like the uh, concept of uh, different levels of success that this system uh, could set up. Oh, that's that's a good point. Yeah. You know, I think in D and D, it's kind of like everyone's hoping for that nat twenty, right? It's like crit. You know, I got a crit and whatever I was doing, and uh, you know, or a one, which is I really screwed up. Um, but in this, there was like you know, there's success, there's special success, there's critical success. Yeah, there's Agreed. failure, yeah. there's fumble, and I think that to get to your point, Justin, that opens the door to a little bit more freedom and storytelling as to what actually happened or what the outcome was of an attempt. I did like yeah. that. I like that a lot. Thank you for bringing up that point. Yeah, there's there's shades of gray in that number on the flat probability curve, which makes it less flat. 
Yeah. Uh, yep. And so I think, and I think there were, you know, Matt did a great job playing that in a fumble early on that set the stage for how he was going to role play his character earlier on when his, <laughs> when his, when his, when his he, uh, yeah, okay, I think, I think he fumbled his role and I got a critical success and that's how his sh sword shattered. I think yeah. that's what happened. You know, like it was like the worst role he could have gotten and it was the best role I could have gotten. And sure enough, like, boom, like the sword breaks. And like, you kind of expect that in that scenario, right? Like, yeah, for sure. Like that is literally the worst thing that could have happened to him in that moment. So, and um, you know, what's funny is awesome. from that, from that point forward that night, whenever I parried, I thought about what weapon am I parrying with? Because do I want to lose it? <laughs> <laughs> is it going to break? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I wish the starting characters would have had more shields. I think that would have been fun, but. Because uh, I, I think that was a mechanic that we missed out on because there weren't that many, there weren't very many shields in the stack of pregens. Now the stack of pregens were great. There were way more pregens than we could use in our group. There was probably mm -hmm. we had, you know, we only used half of them at least, and there was a lot of choices. And so as we were passing the different characters around, I think everybody had one they wanted and a good backup, which yeah. felt which felt right. I think a backup was good because. Um... You know, one one of the things about the visceral combat is that uh, everybody has doesn't have like huge amounts of HP, right? And I think that I I kind of love that. Um, one of the things that does kind of bother me about D and D is it's like as you level up, all of a sudden your hit points like start going through the roof. Like, are you going through growing pains? Like, <laughs> are you taking like super super vitamins or something like that? Like, how are you getting all of this health? Like you technically like are a 400 year old dwarf like shouldn't you have like gotten this health like before you know so um it's funny that like experience will all this in D D will all of a sudden give you um extra health right this doesn't you don't really level up health wise in this unless you've got something that's given that to you very specifically uh like maybe a rune or a charm or something like that um and so everything's kind of low hp you kind of counter counter the combat through armor that you wear uh and through your pairing and and things like that uh so i think i think what's nice is that uh you know with with the pregen characters as you were saying there was backups because there was a strong chance that people could have died in even in these opening games you know like it could have happened easily if I got a crit hit, you know, like a, a critical hit, and I hit you in the head, like, and you didn't parry, like, there's a chance I was lopping that thing off. Yeah. You know? So, um, definitely a possibility. So, um, I thought it was really good. What would you say were some of the pros of the game? Ooh. Um, well, I think uh, in terms of mechanics – we talked a lot about the how the um, the initiative system uh, played well once we got into it and thought that uh -huh. it was really cool. I thought that was pro. It has a unique feel. Um, we talked a lot about the visceral aspect right now, which I think was cool, and the parry system, which I thought was a big pro. In terms of um, in terms of from a GM perspective pros on running the game you're probably more appropriate to answer that since you were our gm for the night 
Yeah. Um, so <laughs> this is going to be a pro and a con. I'm just going to, I'm just going to let people know that uh, up front. But one of the pros was that it came with a lot of tables, right? So you didn't have to memorize all of the different combinations of what could happen, especially in combat with the parrying and the, uh, and the striking. So like there was a special thing that would happen if you got a critical strike and you got a normal parry. Or something happened if you fumbled your your strike and you got a critical parry, right? Like there was actions that specifically happened, and usually like it damaged a weapon or it damaged, uh, you know, damaged a person, or there's a certain amount of HP that was taken off. Like it was, um, there was a table that let you exact know exactly. So it was a quick ref, and it was easy, easy to do. Uh, one of my favorite tables on here, and this is actually a mechanic that I absolutely loved about the system it's called the resistance table and so it's meant for whenever you're trying to do something that has some sort of a stat so for example if i wanted to move a boulder out of the path right out of the way well that boulder has a, a certain amount of strength based on its weight right and so it might have a strength of like 18. Well, my, my strength might be 9. And so you look at this table, and you looked at the active. I'm the active person trying to move it. I take it, you know, look at 9. And then I go down to the 18th level of the passive one because the rock is the one that's being moved, right? And I look at that number, and that's the number that I need to roll under. Now, if I'm a 9 and that's an 18, I probably have to roll under like a 25 to do that. Where this really shined uh, more than anything was in some of the magic, right? So uh, we had uh, our friend Nick was uh, really loved using magic. And he would try to, um, was using magic against these scorpion kind of centaur looking guys. Centaur is the wrong word. They're scorpion men, half men, half scorpions. And he was using magic against them, and he had a pretty high magic, and they had a pretty low magic, so he was rolling, like, under 85. And that was the same with you, Dan. I think that you had, you know, you're, like, trying to scare them away, right? And you would roll under it and be like, hey, this is this is easy. Well, then Big Mama showed up, uh, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and Dan's like, okay, well, this is easy. I just had to roll under, like, an 80 last time, and that was no big deal. Well, her resistance to magic was, like, way, way higher. Yeah, so, so I'm like, uh... Dan, you have to roll under a 20 for this one. And he's like, oh, yeah, that didn't work. Whoops. You know, and so uh, narratively, I thought it was really amazing because here you are, like, you expect the big chaos monster to have, like, resistance to magic. And so it's going to be a lot harder for you to use your magic against that with success than some random minion type of guy, you know, that that's there. And uh, and so again, that worked with everything. It worked with magic. It worked with strength tests. It worked with you know um, drinking contests if you wanted. It worked with like a lot of different things. And you would just do this table, and it would give you the number that you needed to roll under based on your statistics. So I thought um, it was maybe one of the best tables that I've ever had in a RPG in terms of being able to figure that kind of stuff out because like. How does grappling work in most systems, Jason? Uh, horribly. <laughs> horribly. But guess how grappling works in this one, right? Like you compare strengths and you roll under, you roll it, and it's really easy to figure out, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's it's it was a really cool, really cool table. Uh, some of the other tables were really great. I really liked them. Um, 
And because of that, I felt like, you know, this isn't this isn't your mother's D&D game type of thing, right? Like you had a lot of different things that could go on and that made it uh, feel more vibrant, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Vibrant, visceral is the right word I think you used, Jason. Um, you know, it just, it allowed you to do, I, f I feel like, a little bit more um, and be a little bit more narrative about it and let the dice kind of do the talking a little bit more. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So what, what, um, you know, uh, what are, we've talked about how this game, you know, is very visceral. It's very lethal at the same time. You know, people don't feel like they have a, a million hit points that everyone has the same kind of ability to die as the next guy, um, which keeps it true to the setting and the feel of the time period. So what are some of the cons that you had as a GM in preparing the system? So let's go to the tables. <laughs> there were so many tables. There were so many tables to look at, right? And um, it was almost like – and I think, I think that if I had the RuneQuest GM screen – up in front of me like that's where a gm screen really would have helped and normally i don't like playing with gm screens i don't like kind of being walled off and i don't care if players see my numbers you know what i mean i, I tend not to fudge them mm -hmm. um it, in fact i don't really fudge dice um i'll f if, if i need to fudge anything i'll i'll maybe pull a punch on an ability or something like that you know maybe not go for like the most lethal strike that they have in their arsenal yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I usually don't fudge dice rolls, and I like my players seeing them. With that said, I think that their GM screen for RuneQuest would have been great because all the tables would have been in there, or, like, right there. That I could mm -hmm. have, like, I didn't have to shuffle through papers or look on page 10 versus page 24 versus page 5, you know, and have to, like, kind of flip through those types of things. So um, the amount of tables, it, like... You're starting to do a lot of bookkeeping, you know, and uh, that that was a difficult thing. And I think that the burden of bookkeeping falls on the GM more than it falls on the players, oh, for sure. yep. you know. And so, um, like, for example, I had at one point six of the Scorpion men and I was I had to keep track of each one. Not only their overall hit points, but which leg had been chopped off and or damaged. Mm -hmm. right as well as mm -hmm. like what their arm what their armor stats were what their weapon stats were in terms of their health and this is for six different things you know like i had to keep track of those six different things um so it was a lot of bookkeeping that you had to just kind of be on top of as a gm so i i feel like to really run this well like as a gm you need to know the system well um, which is hard if you've never played it before, uh, but you got to kind of learn it and, and then like go through it, you know? So, um, it, it's easy. I think we felt in the beginning, especially, and you guys can chime in on this one. Did you feel like we were getting bogged down in like number crunching in the beginning? I think so. Uh, what do you think, Matt? I, I didn't, I didn't think so because I mean, I just took it as, as learning the game in the beginning. Um, so I, I didn't necessarily feel like it was any any worse than any of the other games. I mean, I, I, I'm, I have an interesting perspective. You guys are much more versed in a lot of these RPGs than I am. I'm just – all I am is old school first and second edition D&D. &D. 
and I re- I played a tiny bit of third, but I haven't played, you know, all these different role playing games that you guys uh, are more familiar with. And I just got exposed to some of them like last summer. And um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, so for me, I, I, there's a lot of learning. So I don't know necessarily if we were getting bogged down because to me, I was just learning a new system. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, and I didn't feel like, I mean, there's definitely more to it than say some of the other percentile games that I played over the summer uh, with, with Cthulhu's one and uh, Mothership. Um, so f- for me, it didn't really seem that way. It didn't seem bogged down. Um, but, um, but I also don't think that, um, like I, I felt like it was much more accessible and maybe that's why I didn't, I don't necessarily feel like I was being bogged down because to me, these percentile games, like the other ones I mentioned and, and, and that includes RuneQuest is they just seem a, a little more accessible, um, to a, a person like myself who has a little bit of a background but I'm learning a new system. They seem intuitive. Um, and, and while it takes a little time to learn, you know, once you have it down, it, it's, it's intuitive and simple enough to where you feel like you can enjoy the game. Um, and, and you know, at least what you're doing enough to enjoy the game, to create a character and have a lot of fun. That's a good perspective for sure. I think it's a great perspective. Yeah. I, I think, I think if you're coming from D and D, it might feel a little bit slower, but, um, I think I think your perspective is awesome. Like once you like if you, if you're chalking it up to learning the game in the beginning, then it's gonna feel like a little bit slower. But you know once you get it, like we were humming there at the end. I think we were so. doing pretty yeah. good at the end. Let me you know. L- l- let me. This is a chart. This is not a flaw to the game itself. This is a flaw to the box set. I thought the box set is great. I mentioned it on our other podcast. It's got a lot of page count in that box. It looks the same thickness as all the other boxes where you're mostly buying air. This one is, you can pick it up and feel it, it's heavy. Yeah, How definitely. However, everyone has magic and they didn't print the spells on the character yeah. sheet yeah. and they had room yes. to do it and they didn't do it. Um, they put some great flavor text on there and that's really important. They have beautiful uh, artwork photos that are taking up one whole page. Yeah, full page. Those, those could have been halved, and you could have given me like the quick, dirty version of my spells. Here's a. This was a. The book diving that we had to do was passing the one book that we had around. Mm-hmm. That's right. And going, oh, what does my spell do? What does my spell do? What does my spell do? And that, um, that that was less effective. It definitely slowed it down. Having to look up everything, but again, we're learning the system. But yes, regardless, uh, being a, a starter box set definitely yeah. would have been nice to have a little more character pertinent information on each character sheet. Yes. And we we talked about, like, there was lots of pre-gens in there, which is awesome. I totally agree with you. Putting the spells, writing the spells on there would have been, would have made the pre-gens perfect, in my opinion. Like, they, because they were really, the way they designed it with, like, the two flaps that came out that had extra stuff on it, so it was kind of an 11 by 17 you know, um, I, and uh, I like those character sheets. They just were missing yeah. that one. They were missing that thing. one thing that was critical. Yeah, that was critical. So uh, it had a bunch of other stuff in there. It had like maps of the world. It had maps of the town that we were in, right? That you could pull out. 
Um, it had the rule, uh, the rules booklet, which was excellent. It had uh, the adventures booklet that had f um, three very fleshed out sessions in them uh, that you could that you could roll with. That were very good. Uh, but I'll tell you my favorite thing about this box set, and it was the same thing with Cthulhu. They had a solo adventure that would teach the DM how to play the game. And it was like a choose your own adventure style, right? Like you do this thing. If it succeeds, go to number 98. If it fails, go to number 134, you know, like that type of thing. And I just had so much fun playing it, like so much fun playing it. That's great. And it was, a, it was the same thing with Call of Cthulhu. Like I was really worried. I had read all the rules. I was really worried about running it with you guys. And then I played the solo adventure and I said, I got this. And I understand what this game is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I really, it really immersed me. And I said, I know what this game is. I know what it's trying to be. And it was such a fun adventure. I said, it's fantastic. And and I came in with a lot of enthusiasm because I had played that solo quest, you know? So um, I can't speak highly enough about Chaosium, including the solo quests in their starter kits. Like they're just so good for the, for the new dm it's probably a new system for the dm too even if they're a veteran dm uh you know just to get to know the system and the flavor of the of the setting too you know yeah it was really good really really good so overall guys what would you what would you if you were to buy this uh starter set out of five what what score would you give it let's start with you matt oh um well so I'm going to be I'm going to be honest with everything here, and and that starts with me not loving the setting. I just yeah. I, I feel like the, the the fantasy settings, even the real world settings of Cthulhu, this the sci-fi set, for whatever it is, whatever reason it is, I'm just not into the bronze bronze age setting. Um, I I I love the game though. I thought it was really great. Like I said, especially after getting into it. The contents of the starter set was great, with the small things that we noted. You know, I, I would say that the, the the set in general, I'd give it a four out of five. It's a strong four Ooh, out of five. That's a good four. That's a good. That's a good score. That's a good score. What about you, Dan? Clearly, I I, I there's no way I could give it a three, so it's got to be a four for me because I think I had a four level fun, and I'm thinking, well, what was my fun level? And we we had a great time. Um, so the game did not get in the way of a good RPG session. It facilitated an yeah. interesting RPG yeah. session. And I'm going to echo one thing that Matt said earlier, which is that the, the mechanics help tell the story. And, and that usually doesn't happen in combat. And that was great. Right. What was happening in combat had story. It j just by rolling the regular combat rules had story implication. And that was fun, and I liked it. And it, it made the combat fighty, fighty, um, you know, rock'em, sock'em, as well as interesting and different. So four out of five for me. Nice. Jason, what about you? So this is an interesting one because uh, I, I had some feedback from someone who watched one of our videos when we did um, Call of Cthulhu Starter Box on YouTube. And uh, we got to the replayability score, which I think for board games was an easy score. For RPGs at the time, I think I said, you know, it's an RPG. It's, like, always going to be replayable. You know, there's, like, an infinite amount of stories and stuff you can do. This, so I gave it a five. And the feedback I got from a, a reviewer was, 
you know, maybe maybe when you do RPGs, that score should not be replayability in terms of from a player base. Maybe it should be like how easy is it going to be to continue to play it from like a GM point of view. Mm, that's a good point. Um, mm. For just for RPGs, since that's kind of like the thing. Like, how easy is it to continue to make new material quickly to be able to sit down uh, without having to to invest in? And I know we talked a lot about. I'm going a little bit long here, but I know we talked a little bit about over the years, <laughs> really the years that we've been doing podcasting, techniques for being good GMs, for being able to prepare prepare things quickly. And I think that uh, any person who knows the system, knows the setting well, can, can go in without a lot of prep into a system. Um, I think that if you have those tables with you, and once you get familiar with them so that you can pull them quickly... Just like when we play systems, mm-hmm. you know, like with Mothership, I know exactly where to flip in my uh, in my guide to look up a rule. Right. Uh, you know, we just get familiar with it. Once you get familiar with your tables, it'll probably come a lot faster. Uh, so, and so I think that I would give that score, which is replayable. I think I would give it a, f- I would give it somewhere around a three and a half to four, uh, just because I think there's a lot of bookkeeping associated with this system. Yep. Um, but in terms of overall fun factor, I would play this if I was in the mood for a straight up sword and board. This is what I would want to play over D and D. I would want if if I wanted to go in with a shield bashing and you know sword smashing or whatever. This would be it th- because I would feel like like Dan said that the actual mechanics of combat would tell part of the story. Uh, much more so than D and D does for me when I play that. So I would give this a four out of five. So I'm going to approach this from the GM right perspective. Yep. Um, Cause that's how I did it. This was stressful for me to run. Um, and I think a big part of it was cause I didn't, I mean, it's the first time I ran it, right? Like had it been the 10th time for me to run it, like I would not have felt nearly like stressed. Um, but having to be able to be like, Oh, I'm not sure what your spell does here. Here's the book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and being like, okay, wait, where's that table? Hold on. I got to find it. Give me a second guys. Sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I felt like I was doing that a lot. Um, and that was again, like me, like being pretty familiar with like the materials, but not like experienced with the materials to where I was like, okay, I know exactly what you're trying to do now near the end. I felt like I was like, okay, hold on. Boop. Yeah. Got it. All right. Here's your number. Okay. You know, and, and once we figured out the strike rank stuff that was going much easier. So I actually, as the night went on, my stress level went way down, you know, because I felt like we as a group were, were getting it. Like we were understanding it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I was having more fun with it, uh, because I was understanding the game a lot more. I think we were all, we all were right. Um, but especially me as a GM, like I, I was understanding it more. So I, I, it was easier for me to make calls or rulings or, you know, be like, yep, absolutely do that. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. You know, um, because I like, I understood the game a lot more. So with that said, the starter set, if I'm to judge it just based on the starter set, I'm giving it an absolute four out of five. I'm close to a five out of five. In fact, you know what? I'm going five out of five for a starter set. Five out of five for a starter set, and and a lot of it is that solo campaign. I know you yeah. guys didn't play it. I wanted to give it a I five, did. but the stupid yeah. spell thing. 
They lost uh, a whole yeah, point on that you. for me. You know what that requires <laughs> the GM to do to go through, find every spell for every character and photocopy it and yeah. add an add an extra page. There you so go. So what I was um what I was actually planning to do and I just unfortunately didn't get to it was I was going to print and photocopy all the spell section and just have a copy for each of you to be able to look up your spells. Um, and I just didn't get around to doing and, that. And that, you know. that goes back to the design of the box set, for me. Yeah. For me, yeah. anyway. That's, yep. that, I would have but, loved to give it a five. Yeah. I probably would have given it a five if it wasn't for that. I'll say this, though. I have I have used several starter sets, including the D&D ones. I've used the Cthulhu one. I've used... Um, um i've had a start kind of a starter set per se of the um shadow of the demon lord and um this one i felt just prepped me more than any one of them to be a good um gm for the game you know and so from a gm's perspective i would have given this a five out, five out of five and i can understand your player perspective right not having the spells um, and that's kind of frustrating for the GM too, but it's more your problem than the GM's if you understand, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that sounds, sounds like your problem. Like yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> I guess I got a problem. So, so yeah, I'm giving it a five. But look, I think we're definitely settled around like a, a solid four out of five for this. And I mean, if you're looking for a new RPG, I, I check it out, right? Uh, the starter set's about, I think it retails for $49. I think it's worth it though. I think it's worth it. You've got four. You've got three or four solid sessions um, in in the group thing. So if you're talking ten dollars a session, something like that, it's worth it. Absolutely worth it. You know. So I can't. I I can't recommend it enough. Very cool. So, uh, I think that's about all the time we had. Jason's already uh, told me about half an hour ago that we're about to go over. So. <laughs> <laughs> On like multiple like social media places guys, too. I'm guys. like pinging you like, what's he paying attention to? No, no, it's fine. We're having a good time. <laughs> so uh, yeah, check out check out RuneQuest from uh, Chaosium. They've got a lot of good stuff, and they've got the wiki now. Go check out the wiki. Yeah, get into know. the get into the lore there and see what it's like. See if this is for you. I mean, it's a free resource that you can that you can access. So uh, thanks for listening to us, guys, tonight. Leave us some comments. Have you played RuneQuest before? Like, if you have, let us know what your experience has been. Uh, are you interested in trying it? What kind of questions would you have if you are looking at the starter set? Hopefully, uh, we'd be able to answer some of those. So, you know, answer us on Twitter, Facebook. We've got a Discord channel that's uh, pinned on Twitter and Facebook. So, join us in there if you want to talk about uh, RuneQuest. Like, lots of lots of good things to discuss. So, uh, with that, we'll leave it there. Have a great night, and thanks, everybody, for listening. See ya. Thank you so much, and thanks to Chaosium. Thanks, guys.